0: Hello, and you are back in the Velvet Room with Joker the Fool. This is our 51st episode, and today we'll be discussing that NATO is a lost cause, Putin talking more than just history, and parental rights are an evil, they're necessary. So we're going to jump right into it, and we're going to be talking about NATO, the North American Treaty Organization. I've got this article that I archived from... The Guardian, I believe, headline reads, NATO chief says Trump remarks may put U.S. and EU lives at risk. Now, Trump said something that was basically, it says, after Donald Trump invited Russia to attack member countries that he perceived as not meeting their financial obligations, Stoltenberg, who I guess is, you know, one of the higher-ups at NATO, says, Any suggestion that allies will not defend each other undermines all of our security, including that of the U.S., and puts the American and European soldiers at increased risk. I expect that regardless of who wins the presidential election, the U.S. will remain a strong and committed NATO ally. Now, I agree with him on there. If Trump gets back into office, let's say, which... Uh, there's a lot of stuff pointing to that being the case. Uh, NATO is still going to exist. It's uh, part of the uh, globalist uh, agenda from the uh, the Western lens. It's something that's going to exist. It's something that justifies a lot of uh, wars happening, especially with Russia and China, because it's essentially something that was formed during the Cold War, NATO, For the Western unions to um, have an avenue for mutually assured destruction, the Russians and the USSR had the Warsaw Pact where it had a bunch of satellite states and saying, hey, we're going to share military resources. We're going to have this clause saying an attack on one is an attack against all, which is why saying, well, if, hey, NATO isn't going to defend the ones who don't pay up, uh, then that undermines that point. And the idea of saying, hey, if, let's say, Ukraine joins NATO and Ukraine gets attacked, that we wouldn't just nuclear bomb the shit out of Russia, and then they nuclear bomb the shit out of us. Uh, that's it. just kind of eliminates mutually assured destruction. You can't play brinksmanship where you go to the brink of nuclear war, and then you go back. That was the strategy for the Cold War. And this is essentially just how it's uh, continued and evolved. And it's just as proof that I I think NATO is bringing more conflict to the global community than it's abating it at this point. It's something that should have gone away when the Warsaw Pact went away as saying, hey, we're bearing the hatchet from these Cold War times because the USSR isn't a relevant superpower, so we we don't need this to be the case, but of course, um, this is part of, we want, well not we, but the globalists want one global empire, and I do think there's an Eastern and Western, uh, split, so you have Eastern globalists, you know, the Chinese, uh, North Koreans, those sorts, and then you've got, uh, you know, the Americans, the Europeans, the WEF types, the ones who meet in, uh, Brussels and Davos and all, all these, uh, bourgeois places in Europe and say how they want everyone to eat bugs and cricket flour and live in pods and strap the Apple Vision Pro to their face and then complain that it can't play porn. <laughs> uh, so you've got th- those um, two competing forces in terms of who gets to be the um, ruler of the globalist empire. And when the West had the ability to hold on to NATO, they were do- they were going to do just that. And they're not going to abolish it or let Russia into NATO or do any of those sorts of things. So it would be beneficial if NATO was abolished and you had the one like global... Um, global uh, super state organization that had some sort of, um, I guess, territorial or agreed upon powers functioning as a kind of super state or a mediator between states, being only the UN. I think that would be a more peaceful thing. Would that be the preferable thing for me? Uh, no, but that's basically what I wanted to uh, talk about in terms of NATO is that NATO at this point is a relic from the Cold War era, and as such, it should be abolished. and all di- diplomacy should be done through the UN in terms of how we currently exist in reality that would be a good first step in making the global community more peaceful because who gets to be on nato and how close nato countries are to russia and china are just going to invite more conflict they're just going to stoke the flames there's no chance in hell that russia will be in nato as as it is now with all all the stuff so if nato just one uh, away, was completely abolished, and all, like I said, all that di- di- uh, diplomatic um, stuff and all the things that NATO did was done for the UN, which I think would be possible. We would have a more peaceful, prosperous global community, which, of course, the globalists would not be able to use to sow division and hatred amongst uh, the citizens of the world. So, of course, it's not going to happen. Uh, but I think that's a nice little... Uh, Segway, talking about NATO. We're going to talk into talk about Putin's uh, interview with Tucker Carl- Carlson because that was a very interesting thing of course is Russia-centric he does mention NATO in the, this interview he also goes on uh, talking a lot about a lot of history and I think that's really one I want to talk about because that's what a lot of the beginning of the interview was I watched around an hour and a half of it so I watched the vast majority of the interview and really what I take away from that interview is when he goes on the history talking about the Kiev and Rus and what was happening uh, with, you know, Catherine the Great expanding the territory and how you know, Russia celebrated its um, 100,000 years of being a nation state uh, in the 1800s, I believe. Putin views himself as the head of the Russian nation state that's existed for almost 2,000 years at this point. And he's saying basically... Um, as the current iteration or as the current head of this iteration of the Russian nation state, I want to have it be, um, living up to what, um, that what it was always intended to be. And the land that Ukraine is located is part of that traditional, uh, city state or nation state, I should say. And as such, Russia has a territorial, um, right to that land or, or should have, be able to exercise, um, uh, an absolute monopoly on forced violence, ultimate decision making, because that's how it has been for generations in Ukraine as a country, as an ethnic group was really manufactured rather than something that rose about organically like the Kievan roosted uh, back in like 850 or, or whenever it happened to have happened. So that that's really what I get from Putin. I think it's a much more reasonable thing than like he wants to be like Hitler 2.0 or, or something like that, I do think it's a more logical, rational take than, of course, the legacy media is going to give him, does this mean I trust Putin, does that? Does this mean I think Putin is a good person, God no, I, I definitely think he's uh, very much someone who wants to use the iron fist to the power that a, um, you know, a strong state and executive power would give him and use it to basically enrich himself and the Russian government like I said the Russian nation say and in the situation where I, I think it would be better to have um, Ukraine you know be its own country and have um, more you know governments and more separation of power decentralization as I like to always say uh, I think that would be better in terms of getting us closer to a volunteer society, but having the US send billions of dollars and having NATO get involved and the EU and all all these forces trying to um make that geographical area look like how the Westerners want to look like instead of how the Russians, you know, think it looks like because hey, we have these maps in the archives and this is how it looked like and this is what we want to go back to is going to be a lost cause and it's going to seem more or less just imposing values and wills onto a people rather than being just the friendly policeman of the global community, which is what I imagine a lot of people see themselves as, especially the boomers. Uh, so I, I just do not think that it's, it's definitely not going to be perceived like that. The end result it's not going to be like that. It's more or less we're just fighting a proxy war that we've got no chance of winning. We're going to waste a lot of money on, and we're running the risk of turning this proxy war into an actual hot conflict, and we start sending American soldiers into Ukraine, and it's just makes tensions rise even more means it even more like a third world war than it basically already is at this point so i i just do not see any benefit of having this proxy war for ukraine of course uh i'm not uh for the american military existing in the way that it does it should just be a militia based on self-defense so basically the state militias of the United States, you know, should I have fifty of them that can collaborate and basically run NORAD and make sure that the territory, you know, the continental uh, United States is actually safe, and you know, I guess Hawaii and uh, Alaska can be included in that. But whatever, that's that's a bit out. Of, that's a bit of a tangent. But my my point being is that um, the American military military industrial complex is no business just. Funding and facilitating all these proxy wars, having up like, what, 90 to 100 bases all over the world, uh, trying to be the world police because we've clearly failed at it. And it's really only been to build an American empire that's basically crumbling under its own weight. I, I mean, it's really hard to have your hands basically this far spread out to have your tendrils go um around the circumference of the planet. I mean, the the British Empire couldn't do it for all that long. So the more you expand, the more um, pots you have your hand in, the less um, a- able you are to have a good grip on those pots, if you get what I'm saying. So I think I'll leave it there. That's really what my takeaway is, is that Putin is view- basically viewing himself as... Um, the leader of a, a nation state that's existed for over a thousand years and wants it to be as much as it can be in terms of that and saying that, hey, this geographical area should be under the control of um, you know the Russian nation state because it's how it it's how ha- has been and anyone trying to say it shouldn't be or trying to get involved in Russia's affairs is, is being viewed as an aggressor rather than um you know someone putin wants to like take over the world it's more like i just want to have control of russia and the lands that were um traditionally seen as russian or part of the kievan russ that nation state involved into what is now modern day russia but we're going to segue into the last topic parental rights so of course we've got canada the great white north is bit of a dumpster fire for a lot of reasons, but this big thing's an attack on parental rights. There was one politician said, you know, parents don't have rights; they have responsibilities, and basically, responsibilities saying, "Hey, you have to be okay with injecting your kid with puberty blockers, sending them into public uh, school, and letting them become gay communists for the cause, or whatever the hell is next." All right, and the idea of saying like parents have rights, parents are the ones who are going to be best equipped to raise their children. The vast majority of times, definitely much more than CPS and the foster and the orphanage systems are going to be on average. And as such, um, parents should have the end say and um, what medical procedures their kids get. Uh, how their children are educated, what values are instilled in their children, Uh, basically saying if you believe in that, you're an evil person, you're using that to um, abuse all these poor trans kids who if we can't inject them um, with, you know, these harsh pharmaceuticals and then hack off their genitals as soon as they start developing, uh, you're a bad, evil person and you just want them to die. I want them to become, like, developed adults mentally so they can make these decisions and go into it with informed consent, not being mentally ill, confused on the cusp of suicidal ideation, and saying, hey, I want this to stop any way possible. The doctor says if I go through with puberty blockers, and then hormone therapy, and then surgery, uh, I'll be who I'm envisioning in my head, and I'll feel better. And that very rarely turns out to be the case, uh, especially for children. A lot of times, you know, adults who undergo transition are very... I don't want to say rare, well, I guess it's not um, extremely common to be 100% satisfied and this be a very effective treatment. And it honestly should be in comparison to the permanent side effects, like I said, Uh, especially if you go under... As a as a child, I, I have looked into what puberty blockers do to children and hormone replacement therapy, and, and it's not a very pretty process. There is a lot of health consequences to going through that, especially as a child. Like I said, there's harsh pharmaceuticals that you're injecting into yourself, and in a lot of cases, it's not worth it. So if, you know, one of these things is like you give it, you know, um, they're called, gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists. And if you stuck with me uh, for that, thank you. Uh, please like, comment, subscribe. But it's a class of drugs, and they have multiple uses um, in terms of ju- just, you know, in terms of blocking puberty, um, stopping precocious puberty. Uh, they're used in more things like that, like treatments of uh, prostate cancer, uterine cancer, uh, sex hormone-dependent cancers. They're also used in terms of helping women with IVF conceive. And even, you know, those groups of uh, people can have... Um, health issues. So if it's like, well, are you against, um, you know, people getting in that's in those cases, and I'll say if you need this, you know, these drugs to go through a round of IVF, you're better off adopting because there are children that need to be adopted and you aren't risking um, your health in, in order to try and conceive and it might not even be successful because IVF isn't always successful. So I would be the first person to say, if someone who is uh, considering IVF um, and needs these drugs in order to undergo uh, a round of IVF or whatever the technical term is. Uh, the better option would be to adopt. Now, of course, would you know the child wouldn't necessarily be biologically yours, but uh, I'm saying if you want to be a parent, then that would be the best thing to do. Especially considering the long-term health implications of using these uh, these drugs in terms of just degrading your health negatively. Uh, it's just apparent for adults, um, not just uh, children. So it's uh, especially true if you're developing and you're going to mess with your uh, endocrine system, your body's ability to produce... Follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone. These are the hormones that tell your gonads and your body to start producing hormones um, to make you go through puberty. And these hormonal changes aren't just um, imbuing you with secondary sexual characteristics and making you look like um, an adult. It's uh, making sure your brain, your organs, your your fiber, all these um, you know systems um are dependent on the endocrine system functioning properly. And if that development doesn't happen when your body says it needs to happen and you artificially block it by overloading um those uh that, that your endocrine system with these uh art- harsh pharmaceuticals, then you're really not going to have that development as if you went through your natal puberty when it was supposed to occur. It's not like you can just um, watch Netflix, right, and you pause and you come back. So I say, you know, you're 14. You're like, I'm uncomfortable with my body. I'm not sure if I want to be a boy or a girl. Uh, you press pause. 18 comes around. Oh, I I wanted to be a boy. Unpause, and then you just go through puberty as if you normally would. No, there there's uh irreversible uh damage done in terms of your development being stunted, um, that you have caused by. Taking those uh, four years where your body would have developed and gone through those pubertal changes that just will not occur or they'll not um, occur nearly to the degree as if they did if you went for your natal puberty when you were supposed to. And having any problems, voicing your concern with that, making the decision saying, I am a parent who is concerned. I've looked into this. This is not the best for my child because of these reasons, which are based in reality and logic. Uh, You're... Not doing what the state wants you to do. You don't have parental rights. Your parental responsibility is to turn your child into a minion of the state and do whatever the state says is going to happen. And that's the reason why parental rights are important. Because parents are the ones who are going to be able to say, hey, uh, I want my child to be free. I want my child to be able to become an adult that's independent and can make their own decisions. And a lot of times the state is antithetical to um, that And the state is antithetical to, uh, um, you know, a lot of children ending up in good positions. If you look at how awful a lot of public schools are in terms of um, just the education levels, especially in this country, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, inner city kids are stuck in the school, the prison pipeline. Uh, that's something that leftists like to say, but, you know, then they'll tell you <laughs> with the uh, other side of the lips to not homeschool your kids, to keep sending your kids to these public schools That our school, of the Pearson Pipeline. So, again, putting your uh, child in the hands of the state is a surefire way for them to not end up as a good, well-rounded citizen. They're just going to be either um, someone who puts in just enough um, to the tax system where they become a burden on the welfare state and as such someone that the state can use to justify its own existence and have control over people and which is why they want to do it they want the state to become the parent and the parents basically just um, you, you basically raise the child children by proxy um, or just Um, facilitate the state's indoctrination onto children. And when, um, you know, the state has the ability to take children away, put them in the, you know, the the foster care system and and in the care of CPS and all all these sorts of things, uh, they're going to do it if they they have the case for it. So it's just um, something that you need to be aware of is that parents have rights. It's, self evident it's uh part of the human condition that if you uh have a child right you you give your genetic um material and especially if you're a woman you give your um body um biological resources into um producing a child uh then you are the one who is fit to raise that child and you have the right to imbue that child with your beliefs and values so that they can grow up and pass those on to the next generation that's part of the reason why people have kids you know it's uh not necessarily like the most like evident thing like this is why i want to have kids but i do think it's a subconscious thing that pushes people to have kids is that they have values and traditions and and familial um ties and bonds that they want their kids to experience and have be able to pass on um to the generations that come um, pass and they don't want to pass on what the state's agenda is um, to the kids, right? And of course, the state wants that. So, the more people that buy into the government being um, the best and doing whatever the state wants, especially these authoritarian states, the better, which is why the state wants to be the parent, not have the parents basically take back seat or just do all the like nannying. And then the uh, state can do the parenting and instill the values of the state onto the kids. And then the kids can um, basically just be minions for the government. Of course, it sounds a little bit conspiratorial. But when you have uh, a politician in Canada say parents don't have rights, they have responsibilities, right? It's more like saying you basically are just here to keep the kid alive in a state where they're fed. So that way the um, child can become a minion for the state. I think I've gabbed on long enough. You've gotten the message. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and we're going into the outro now. Thank you for being in the Velvet Room with Joker the Fool. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe whether you're listening on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, or Substack. And be sure to subscribe to my Substack, .substack velvetroompublishing.substack.com, to keep up with Machine to Man and all my other projects.